I don't know who it was that Leslie just introduced, because, hi, my name's Peter. Well, actually, I have a few names, Simon, Peter, The Rock, I might have a few others as well, Uh, but you all probably know me best as Peter. I used to be a fisherman, then I met Jesus. Well, actually, he came and found me, and I became one of his followers, In fact, I became one of his inner circle, and boy, did my life change. I followed him all over the place, and we spent time with all sorts of people, particularly the poor and the sick, and those people that were, well, not the sort of people that we Jews usually mixed with. He didn't care who people were or where they came from. He loved and cared for everyone. I was also blown away by his teaching. I heard him saying things that were, well, the same as I'd heard before, and yet completely new. Things about God and about what he wants for us, and challenging things about who we are called to be and what we are called to do. But I must confess that early on, I didn't really get who Jesus was. All my life, I'd heard that there would be a Messiah who would come and save the Jews. And after I spent time with Jesus, seeing his incredible miracles, hearing the authority as he spoke about God, hearing him talk about what he'd come to do, I knew, I knew Jesus was this Messiah, the one we'd all been promised. He was the one who was going to overthrow the Romans and restore all the power to God's people, to us Jews. I was on top of the world ready to do anything to support him. But then he told a few of us about what was really going to happen, that the Jewish leaders would completely reject him, even plot against him, that he would suffer and that he would be killed. Now, he also said something about rising again after three days. But to be honest, all I could dwell on was that our saviour, The one who was here to rescue us was going to be killed. I couldn't believe it. I was in despair. I even tried to stop him going to Jerusalem. But he went anyway, even though he knew exactly what was facing him. In those last days before we got to Jerusalem, he talked to us about other awful things that were going to happen as well. Wars and earthquakes and famines. He told us that we followers of his would all be arrested and tortured. But then he gave this amazing promise that one day he would return as king and put everything right. Trouble is, he didn't really give us any time frame on that. So all I could focus on was what was going to happen right now. When we got to Jerusalem, we were all so scared But then we had an amazing special evening with him where he told us some wonderful things, but also some pretty shocking things as well. First of all, he said that someone in the room was going to betray him. I knew it wasn't me. So I told him I would follow him anywhere. I would never betray or desert him. Do you know what he said? He said that that very night I would deny I even knew him. Three times I was going to deny it. No way. 
I told him that even if it led to my death, I would never disown him. Then he talked about what we should do to remember him, to remember that he gave his life for us. And he also told us that something amazing would happen after he'd gone. He said he would send his spirit to be with us, to comfort us and guide us. Wow. After this, we all went and sat in the dark in the garden. And Jesus spent all of his time praying. I could tell he knew something awful was going to happen. But I let him down. He asked me to stay awake to be with him, but I just kept falling asleep. Then suddenly it happened. He was arrested and taken away. And what did we, his faithful followers, do? We ran. But after a bit, I snuck back to where they'd taken him, trying to keep a low profile. I can't believe what happened next, exactly as he'd said. Three times people asked me if I was one of his followers, and three times I said no. I was so ashamed. This was my Lord, my Messiah, and I'd abandoned him, denied him, deserted him. Could it get any worse? It did. They crucified him. He was dead. It's hard to explain how we all felt. There aren't words to describe the depths of despair we were in. But then, just three days later, the women came back with a tale so extraordinary, we couldn't believe it. I had to go and see for myself. His tomb was empty. His body was gone. Then I remembered what he'd said, that after three days he would rise again. Could it be true? Yes, I saw him myself. He suddenly appeared to all of us in the flesh. He spoke with us. He ate with us. He was back. I was there. I saw him alive again. We were so full of joy. Yet I still felt a bit bad about what I'd done, how I'd deserted and denied him. But he loved me so much that while we went back to Galilee fishing, he took me to one side and he gave me such comfort. But then he gave me an incredible commission as well. But I was the one who had to lead and take care of his people. Me, a fisherman. Hard to believe, eh? But this is the son of God who told me this. And it's turned out exactly as he said. I became the new leader in the community at Jerusalem. And then, when Jesus' spirit came to us, just as he'd promised, well, I have to say it was a little more spectacular than I'd been expecting, I turned into an amazing preacher. And now I'm not afraid to stand before anyone and speak about Jesus. I even overturned all my principles about who I should mix with. Now I speak to Gentiles as well as Jews. I also write letters to other believers. I write about things that I hope will encourage them to believe and trust in Jesus no matter what they're facing. This Jesus who is alive and is our only hope for our future. And talking about the future, I know that I face danger every time I talk about Jesus. In fact, he once told me that I would face death because of him. But how can I not talk about him? He's my king. He's our only hope for the future. 
And when he comes back, the whole world will be reborn. Bring it on, I say. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed looking at the gospel account through Peter's eyes and that you'll forgive a bit of artistic license there. But I love Peter. I love his passion, his all-action, get-up-and-go attitude. But I think the most inspiring thing I take from his life is his incredible transformation. In fact, whenever anyone suggests to me that the resurrection didn't really happen, Peter is one of my go-to pieces of evidence. What else can explain the amazing transformation in Peter? From a poor fisherman, the one who shoots from the hip every time he opens his mouth, gets it wrong as often as he gets it right, the one who ran scared from the Garden of Gethsemane, the one who denied so strongly that he had anything to do with Jesus. Look at his transformation to the post-resurrection Peter. He's a true leader. Yes, he's still passionate and he's not afraid to speak out, but now he's totally prepared to stand up to authorities. He's never denying. In fact, he's always proclaiming who Jesus is and what he came to do. He's never aiming for a comfortable life, but he's always prepared to step outside the norm, outside of his comfort zone, for the sake of the gospel. It's the resurrection of Jesus that transforms Peter, seeing the risen Lord. This is the source of Peter's hope, his living hope. So as we can see, Peter's life was a roller coaster experience, and of course... Our lives are very removed from what uh, Peter went through, but we too live a bit of a roller coaster life, don't we? We have incredibly hard times, and then we have times of stability, of peace, of contentment. So, how can we grasp hold of this same living hope no matter what we're experiencing? What does it look like to have a hope that is so alive and real that it takes a grip on our lives? and transforms the way we live every single day. So let's look at some of Peter's letter to see how it helps us understand this. Now, there's an awful lot in the passage that Trish read for us. Uh, but of course, given the title of our conference, what jumps out is the second part of verse 3. We have been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. This is wonderful news, isn't it? And it's true, and it's there for us right now. Because the minute we put our trust in who Jesus is and what he's done, we're born again, born into this living hope. It's a birth of new hope. Hope in God who raised Jesus from the dead. This is the anchor that Joe talked about. No matter what is going on in our lives, the truth of the resurrection doesn't drift away. It's our solid, unmoving reality. We live in a world full of very fragile hope, where so often the things that we long for can never be guaranteed, and the things on which we base our lives can ultimately be very rocky ground. But the hope that God offers us in Christ is different. It's living, it's sure, it's forever. Not because of how great we are, but because of how great Jesus is. 
in Jesus Christ, we have an unshakable and living hope. But of course, this doesn't mean that life is going to be a smooth ride. Look at Peter. He knew Jesus intimately. He met the risen Lord. But even his transformed life was no easy ride. And we're all going to have times of suffering and of trials, some of us worse than others, some of us seemingly more often than others. Suffering is a reality in life today, just as it's always been. Certainly as it was when Peter wrote this letter, the theme of trial and suffering comes up over and over again. But look at verses 6 and 7, where remarkably Peter says that trials and suffering are valuable, that believers who endure will share in the praise, glory, and honor of God. Now, we kind of know this at one level, don't we? Because usually the people we admire most are people who've persisted through adversity. And when we look back on our own lives, we can probably identify that the times of most growth were also the times of greatest trial. I know that the times I've felt closest to God, and to be honest, the times I've prayed most and read my Bible most, have been through the tough times. Now, I know that as Christians, we have a different view about suffering and death. Christians accept that it's part of a broken world, yet we also know that this is not the way it will always be. We know that one day, everything will be put right, because our hope is not merely based on Christ's work in the past. Our hope is a strong and confident expectation for what is yet to come. Because of our new birth, we have a new inheritance. And as we read in verse 4, it's an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. It's kept in heaven for us. Now, I'll dig into uh, what this inheritance is a little bit later. But I guess the big question here is, Does this living hope make it easier to endure pain and suffering? Well, I don't know about you, but my answer is yes and no. I remember being on a plane for 13 hours, knowing I was having a heart attack. I prayed a lot. Yet I was actually totally calm for myself because... In the words of a famous previous minister at Noosa, okay, yes, it was Mark, Mark Calder, he said, even when it's not okay, it's still okay. Some of the simplest and yet most profound words I think I've ever heard. And I knew this, and I believed this, and I trusted this, because I knew it would be all right for me no matter what. I knew that if I died right there and then, I would be more than okay. I would be great. So I wasn't really afraid, I was just pretty crook. However, that was a fairly short and sharp situation. Within a few days, the problem was fixed. Thankfully, I've had no ongoing issues. But that's not true for many of us, is it? And I'm not sure how much I can say here that will be helpful, because I've never received a cancer diagnosis or the prognosis of a lingering death. I've never faced financial ruin or the thought of sleeping in a car. I've not had a child suffer or die or a relative take their own life. How can we hold on to a living hope in situations like this that are seemingly without hope? I don't know. 
And I'm not sure any of us know how we would cope or can put into words what strength we might draw from our faith unless we faced a situation like this. But what I am sure of is that the more we can do to get to know Jesus, the closer we will get to him. And the closer we get to him, the more he becomes a real living presence in our lives. And the more he is a real living presence in our lives, the more he will be this anchor for us, this living hope, no matter what. So let me pose a couple of questions to you here that only you can answer. Is Jesus' costly love and death and resurrection a piece of knowledge that you believe and trust, but that you've filed away for when you might need it? Or has this truth taken root in your heart so that it sustains you day by day? And are you nurturing this truth day by day? So let me leave you with those questions and move on now to think about how we can live out our living hope in the good times. Because as I've just said, this hope, this living hope isn't there to be pulled out just in the bad times. It's there for every situation in our lives, even in the good times. Yet here again, I'm going to talk a bit about trials and suffering, but this time trials and sufferings that we go looking for, just as Jesus did. Because he didn't sit back passively, and neither should we. And actually, this is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable for me as I start to get a bit personal. Because when life is good, as it is for my husband Phil and I right now, um, there are two things that happen. Firstly, I know that my focus slips a bit. I find I can go a few days without really seriously praying. You know, the the odd passing prayer, but not deep, meaningful interaction prayer with God. My Bible sits idly by. I become a little selfish about prioritizing the things that I enjoy. Yes, including this thing called pickleball. The other thing that I find happens is that I try to avoid things that might disrupt my life, my nice, comfortable life. Yes, I do things tick the box on loving my neighbor. Of course, I try and help anyone I know who's sick or going through a tough time. But I'm not sure that I go looking too hard. And I may even try and avoid situations which could be a bit uncomfortable. In fact, I'm going to open up here on something that is a personal struggle I have. Uh, Phil and I, like I'm sure many of you, give to a number of charities We focus on giving to Christian aid agencies, to missionary work, also to refugee agencies. Uh, Helping at refugees is quite important to us, I think, because we came to Australia so easily ourselves in such a contrast to the many millions who are desperate to come here. And, of course, all these organizations send magazines and email updates. But I don't read them because then... I know I'd be challenged in more than my purse. If I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, I'd certainly be paying for someone to help the man who was robbed and beaten. But I don't know that I'd be there with my own sleeves rolled up helping him, caring for him myself. That would really get in the way of my comfortable life. 
because then I might become emotionally invested. And then maybe I'd be confronted to do something to help ease the pain and suffering. But you know, even that might not be enough. Listen to what Martin Luther King said. We are called to play the good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will only be an initial act. One day, the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that men and women will not be beaten and robbed as they make their journey through life. True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It understands that an edifice that produces beggars needs restructuring. That's incredibly confronting, and it really puts me on the spot because, yes, I'm prepared to sacrifice money to help, but getting involved in advocacy, anything more, it might be asking something of me that really disturbs my settled life. Now, I know this is a very personal issue that I need to pray through and and to confront, but what about you? When times are good for you, Is there anything that you're avoiding because it might disturb your settled life? We know that in this world today, heck, even in our own Sunshine Coast, there is social injustice, there is poverty, there is domestic violence, there are people who are marginalized. Our God is a just and loving God. And we know that there is a future where one day this will all be put right because of Jesus This is our future hope. But this hope isn't just for the future, it's for today. And in response to what Jesus has done for us, our love for him should move us to do justice and to live in love. But what I do need to say here is that we shouldn't be doing these things because we feel we ought to. We shouldn't be guilted into reading our Bibles, or praying, or giving money, or advocating for a cause. These things come about because when we love Jesus truly, deeply, they become our loving response to what he has done for us. We do them just as we do things for our husbands, for our children, for our friends, because we love So let me pose another couple of questions here that, again, only you can answer. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Do you truly know that he died for you? Has this truth taken root in your heart so that it moves you day by day? And are you nurturing this truth day by day? Now, no one ever promised that the Christian life would be easy. In fact, in all my reading preparing for this talk, uh, I read somewhere, but then I couldn't find it again, an article that started with the words, if the Christian life is easy for you, you might be doing it wrong. (laughs) It's tough stuff, all this. But what other hope is there than our hope in Jesus and in the resurrection? Praise God that we have a future living hope that this world is not all there is. Because surely we can endure anything in the present if we have our hope in the future. As long as we are certain that our present situation is not all there is, we can endure. As we hope in the future, 
And as Peter says, an inheritance that is kept for us in heaven. So what is this future inheritance? Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our promised future, our inheritance, is that time when Jesus will return and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's that time when we will have a new resurrected body. Our bodies will be like Christ's glorious body. That's what our future holds. And we'll be free from sickness, free from brokenness, from depression, from anxiety, free from loss, free from failure, free from hurting those we love, and free from being hurt by those we love. And we will see Jesus and we will see God face to face. This is our future. This is our future living hope. And bring it on, I say. Now, you know all this is true because you've read your Bibles. You've heard it preached. But let me ask you another question. Do you know it in your heart? Has it taken root in your very soul that through his death and resurrection, this is the eternity that Jesus has made ready for us, that he has assured for us? This is our living hope. Let me pray for us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Father, we are so thankful that we can live with hope no matter what, because Jesus is our living hope. Please give us full confidence in this living hope so that we can hold on to our Savior always in every situation. Help us to be emboldened by our confidence in our living hope that we may disrupt our lives to live and love to your glory. And help us to draw strength from our living hope that we may suffer and wait patiently by your grace until that wonderful day when all will be put right. Amen.